0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter eight. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Christians can take on the challenge of the sun cult, which every culture had a cult of the sun, and incorporate it positively into the theology of the Christmas feast. So some of the early fathers, like Jerome, says, even creation approves our preaching. The universe itself bears witness to the truth of our words. Up to the day, the dark days increase. But from this day, the darkness decreases. When Christ, the light of the world, comes into the world, the darkness is shattered. The light advances while the night retreats. Augustine said, Brethren, on his Christmas sermon, let us rejoice, the heathen too, still make merry, for on this day we're consecrated. It's consecrated for us, not the visible sun, but the sun's invisible creator. This day, Christmas day. So between Easter and Christmas comes the Catholic feast of the forerunner. John the Baptist on June 24th, right at the time of the summer solstice. Hang in there. The summer solstice is the longest daylight of the entire year. And that's John's feast day. Why? (laughs) What happens after that? Less light, less light, less light, less light, less light. The link between the dates can now be seen as a liturgical and cosmic expression of the Baptist words, He, may Christ increase, may the light increase while my light decreases. Isn't that cool? Yes. That's cool. The birthday of John the Baptist takes place on a date when the days begin to shorten, just as the birthday of Jesus Christ takes place. In the winter solstice, when the days get longer because the light of the world is brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. The winter solstice is when we celebrate Christmas. It's always that week in December. John can decrease. John's days get shorter, so Christ can increase. Jesus Christ's days get longer. True light had entered the world, light of light. And it's amazing because the heavens know. The heavens are telling the glory of God. They can figure this out with computer programs from now till whatever year you want. John himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, Jesus Christ. And tonight he says, I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you'll never walk in darkness. So the sunlight of John's days gets shorter. The sunlight of Jesus Christ gets lighter and longer. Now, the Jews claim that, oh, Adam knew that way back. Because here's what Adam said. This is in a Jewish writing. When primitive Adam saw the day getting gradually shorter, he said, woe is me. Perhaps because I have sinned, the world around me now is being darkened and returning to its state of chaos and confusion. This is the kind of death to which I have been sentenced from heaven. Adam noticed the days were getting shorter. He noticed, he noticed, he noticed. The Jews say that the festival of Hanukkah started out as a cosmic universal feast established by Adam. He knew the eight-day periods, the solstices. And Jesus, the new Adam, is the light of the world, the light of the cosmos. He's the light of the world. Paul says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. His finest hour is March 25th, 3 p.m., the day of the cross, when he said, it is finished. The hour's over. He had done the Father's work perfectly, and he gave over his spirit. So, Hanukkah, conceived, (coughs) tabernacles, born, Jesus Christ, Salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is the fulfillment of every Jewish feast day. But Jesus came for more than the Jews. Theologically, Jesus is a cosmic event for all people of all time. He is a fact of the cosmos. Did sheep graze in December? I still want to know. Yes, they did. Near the temple in Jerusalem by the sheep gate always. Bethlehem's only seven miles from Jerusalem. There were always sheep grazing in Bethlehem year around to be used as sacrifices in the temple. Always. Rain or shine, they were needed for daily sacrifice. So the shepherds bundled up and got him out there to graze. Was Christ born on the Feast of Tabernacles? I think he was. The Catholic Church dates Christmas cosmically for theological reasons, the cosmic universe reality, and Catholic means universal. It's a cosmic event. So both can be right, and it's not a matter of salvation, and it's not a matter of dogma. Okay, great levity at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's where we are tonight, a season of joy. Three big things they did. The water libation ceremony, the great trumpets, and every day the great parade from the Temple Mount down to the Pool of Siloam with all the people and their branches, and the priests would get the water. The temple lighting ceremony with gallons and gallons of oil and endless, endless day. It was so bright. And then... The greatest day of the feast, the Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh month on the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would go around the altar seven times and they'd have the great Hosanna, which means great salvation. And Jesus was Yeshua, God saves. And they would shout out Psalm 118, "O oh Lord, save us, Hosanna, O oh Lord, grant success, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're waiting for a Messiah. And on that last day, the seventh day of Sukkot, the endless night, they'd stay up all night reading two things, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law of Moses, and the book of Psalms, which is King David's prayers. Those would be read all night long. That's what they were to do. On that great last day of the feast, that last water libation, we know Jesus cried out, let anyone who's thirsty come to me. And drink. And the water he was going to pour out was the living spirit of God. Yeshua was poured out like a libation, like a water libation. And it says in Psalm 22 that he prayed from the cross, I am poured out like water. It was only after he was poured out his soul unto death that God poured down, rained down the Holy Spirit on the entire earth. Paul uses that imagery of the water libation when he says to Timothy, as for me, I am already being poured out as a libation. The time of my departure has come. So that was last week, the water. This time it's the light. We have these candelabras that are lighting up the entire city of Jerusalem. And guess what? It, it's, it is so light. And there's so much singing and dancing and merriment and all night. And people have traveled and it's a national feast. There's people there from all over the world and they have to put the women. This is normally the women's court, but they have to raise the women up, make special provisions for the women. So the men and women can be separated because this is a crazy, 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 crazy night It's the very last night and we're in Jerusalem and most of the men are traveling without their wives. And there's levity, no night, it's an endless day, it's party time. (gasps) (laughs) They're humans, you know. There's levity, humor, or frivolity, especially the treatment of a serious manner lacking due respect. And some synonyms for that are high spirits, vivacity, liveliness, gaiety, jocularity, frivolity, amusement, mirth, and merriment. And it's an endless night. Levity, mirth, merriment, an endless night. Men have traveled from many nations for this feast. It's the final night. It's the endless night. And it's the morning, and Jesus is seated teaching in the temple. What had Jesus done that night? It said he went to the Mount of Olives. That's where he would go to pray. And I'm sure as a good Jew, he read the book of Deuteronomy, and he read the Psalms, David's prayers. And early in the morning, he came to the temple, and he sat down, and he began to teach. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, teacher, this woman, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. They must have already stoned the man that she was caught with because she's caught in the act. I'm sure they already stoned the guy, don't you guys think? (laughs) Right? Right. If a man commits adultery, both the adulterer and the adulteress should be stoned to death, put to death. That was the law of Moses. Thou shall not commit adultery. It's one of God's 10 commandments. God's top three sins in the Old Testament. Idol worship. Idol worship always leads to sexual immorality, which would go along with adultery and then murder. Those are the three biggies that he comes up against time and time and time again in the Old Testament. In the Middle East, this judgment and punishment is still happening today. People are being stoned in the Middle East. If you're accused of a crime and found guilty, they dig a hole. They wrap you in a sack of some sort and bury you up to your chest and then start stoning you. Everyone can gather around and throw rocks and you're stone to death. Now, it's still going on. So they bring in this woman. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say, Jesus? It's a trap. They said this to test him, so they might have a charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. It's an odd response. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. A second time he bends down and writes on the ground. Did you catch that? It's a second time. And when they heard it, they all went away. When they heard him writing on the ground, When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. The oldest men turned and walked away first. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus straightened up. And he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. Jesus loved her. He loved her so much he wants to get her out of sin because he cares about her so much. Just like the woman at the well who was caught in adultery, he said, don't do that anymore. You've got five husbands, you're living with a six, you're in adultery. Don't do that anymore. With the man in John 5 at the bath of Asclepius, he said, don't don't do that anymore. Something even worse is going to happen to you if you do idol worship. That's a Greek god. That's not my father. That's not me. Go and sin no more. He tells this woman, don't do this anymore. I love you. I haven't condemned you. I forgive you. This is so brilliant. And here's why. Whenever someone was caught in adultery in Jerusalem, both the man and the woman, remember caught in, caught in the act of, both the man and the woman would be brought to the temple gates and accused. They would be brought in for judgment. The priest was required to stoop down and write the law that had been broken in the dust. Hmm. Now, why is he writing it in the dust? Because you can erase that. You know, these kids are writing in the dust, and then they erase it. The next recess, they do other things. Okay, so when you write in the dust, it's not permanent. You're innocent until proven guilty in Jewish law. So the most common place in Jerusalem was to write it in the dust on the temple floor. Jesus must have wrote down the names of the accused in the dust on the floor of the temple. That was the law. You had to have at least two male witnesses, eyewitnesses, needed to confirm the adultery because this crime was punishable by death. So you had, it couldn't be female witnesses. You had to have two, at least preferably three, but they had to be male And there was a certain procedure done in order to bring right judgment. It was an oral law. And in this instance, the scribes ignored the law and brought only one of the accused forward. If they were caught in the act, they should have brought both the man and the woman. So they have all broken the law by bringing the woman only to Jesus. Even if they didn't follow the law correctly, the scribes, they did not bring the man. And Jesus is going to keep the law perfectly and follow perfect court procedure. The law, the oral law, the scribes had violated the oral law of God. They had sinned by not following the oral ordinance to the letter of the law that they were so good at. When they kept on questioning Jesus, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He knew, Jesus knew they had not properly employed Jewish law. They were all guilty of the procedural error. They are all guilty of sin. So there was not one single one in the whole group who could legally cast a stone at this woman. And Jesus knows it. And they know it. Brilliant. And again, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, Being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning with the eldest. Unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Now, what did Jesus write that second time? That they heard it. They heard it in their minds and they were convicted by their conscience. And they start leaving one by one. Well, this is another important piece of the puzzle. Right before tabernacles is the Feast of Atonement. It's not a required feast, but most of the men who are going all the way for the Feast of Tabernacles go a little early and take in atonement as well. If you're going all the way to Jerusalem, that's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would dunk 11 times in a mitzvah bath, a baptismal tank, to be ceremonially cleansed so that he could offer sacrifices to take away, to atone for the sins of Jerusalem for the entire year. And at the last day of the Day of Atonement, there was a great celebration because if God had accepted the sacrifice and everyone's sins would be removed and they would be rolled over for another year, good to go for another year, or until Messiah came, if Messiah came first before the next Day of Atonement. So the high priest comes out after the Day of Atonement. He dunks 11 times in water, and this is the verse he proclaims. Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. And he says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. (laughs) Now, since the day of atonement was so close, these men had attended both. They had just heard that scripture being read. The older you were, the more times you've been to the Feast of Atonement, the more times you know that verse, you've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it, you know it, you know it. And so the wise old elders are convicted first. They heard the writing in the dust. The minute he started writing it, they knew well what that verse said, and they start turning away and leaving, forsaking the living water, being written in the dust. They don't believe this is Messiah. (laughs) Here's the Hebrew translation. Oh, Yahweh, the immerser, the baptizer of Israel, all who leave your ways shall be put to shame, publicly embarrassed. Those who turn aside from my ways will have their names written in the dust and blotted out from the book of life. For they have departed from Yahweh, the fountain of Meheim, the water of life. (sighs) Ah. That's the secret. That's the key passage in context of Jewish law that makes that, opens up that passage for us. It ends, that verse ends like this. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For thou art my praise. Behold, they say unto me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Guess what? (laughs) The word of the Lord is standing right in front of them. He is the word through which they were created. He's the light of the universe and he's standing in front of them. And when Messiah comes, what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to unite a divided kingdom. The north and south were severed. The tribes were all dispersed. When Messiah comes, he's going to unite everybody. There's going to be peace. Cows and sheep can lie down together. All the tribes will come back as one. Well, what is John showing us here? In John chapter 4, the adulterous woman from the north, from Samaria, Photina at the well, she's caught in adultery. She's from the north. The adulterous woman from the southern kingdom, from Judah, from Jerusalem, this woman today, both adulterous women. And God wants to heal. God wants to bring the two nations together again. God wants not a divided kingdom, but a united kingdom. One God. And all the prophets used this symbolism, right? The harlotry, the adulterous woman that had spurned the Lord, that had worshipped other Baals, that had taken other husbands that didn't love God. And here's Messiah, and he wants to heal. He wants to heal. He's come to heal all division, And all those who have been unfaithful to him and all those who have forsaken him, he wants to give him living water. He says, come without price. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let all who hear say, come. Come take the water without price. I want to heal you. And they've just had the water libation ceremony. And those priests brought the water. On the seventh month, seventh day, seven times around the altar, they're pouring it out. And Jesus, right when they're pouring out the final water libation, he cries out, He cries out, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me. Let him who believes in me drink. And it's still the Feast of Tabernacles, and the last thing, the lights. Those lights need to be extinguished. It's the final day of the feast. They need to be put out for a whole nother year. They need to be extinguished. And just as those lights are being put out, Jesus enters into the temple courtyard and proclaims, I am the light of the world. Put those lights out. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Anyone who has not forsaken the fountain of living water, anyone who wants to say, heal me, O Lord, I will heal. Save me, Lord, and I will be saved. Just ask me. I am the light of the world. He is that light in the Holy of Holies, in the true presence of God. And the Pharisees say, you're testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. He says, my testimony is valid, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. You know neither me or my Father. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. But it wasn't his hour yet. The hour of the cross had not come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. You're from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. Unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll realize I am he. What does that mean? They didn't know what that means. Lifted up the Son of Man, what's that mean? That's what it means. The day of the cross, March 25th. When you have lifted me up, then you'll know I am he. They don't get it. They don't see it. They don't understand. For I always do what's pleasing to my Father. If you continue in my word, if you're truly my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I am the truth. Well, we're descendants of Abraham. We have not been slaves to anyone. What do you mean we'll be made free? Apparently, they forgot that they were oppressed for 400 years. God told Abraham they would be way back in Genesis 15. So if the son, me, son of God, makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you're looking for an opportunity to kill me. We're not illegitimate children. We have only one father, God himself. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. I came from God. Now I'm here. I didn't come on my own. He sent me. But your father, your father's the devil. You choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature. He's a liar and the father of lies, and he's your father. You're listening to his words in your ear, not mine. I'm the word. This is a cosmic battle. That's what I want you to get tonight, that cosmic dating. This is a cosmic battle. Look at the big picture. It's a battle for your soul, for your children's soul, for your grandchildren's soul. It started here when he, the father of lies, whispered into her ear and she listened to his word and she heard the biggest lie of her life. And they lost their deepest, truest identity that day that they are a beloved son and daughter of God. And he said, God said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And I looked up enmity and its enemy in English from the derivative. And it means hostility, animosity, antagonism, rancor, aversion, bad blood, hatred, loathing, and venom. That's what I'll put between you two. This is a cosmic battle. Enmity between Satan and the woman and her offspring. You're from your father, the devil. You choose to do your father's desire. He's a murderer. There's no truth in him. He's a liar. There's great enmity between the two. They are both after your soul for all eternity. But Jesus won the cosmic battle when his hour came, his hour of glory, his final hour on the cross. And yes, there was enmity. There's Mary at the foot of the cross and there's Satan. And he thinks he's won. Ah, we got him. Dead. Mary prays for each of her children now and at the hour of our death. Look at the light on her face, the light of Christ reflected on her face. She is the queen of heaven and earth. She's the new Eve. The banished children of Eve have a way back because of her, yes, and her son. We just celebrated All Saints Day. She is the queen of all the saints and all the angels in heaven. And she prays for us, and she loves us. And she wants us, and she wants our children, and she wants our grandchildren. Jesus is telling them, you got it all wrong. You're on the wrong side of this cosmic battle. You don't believe my word. I tell you the truth, and you don't believe me. Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is you're not from God. Very truly, I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. Never. Whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Remember the woman at the well? She said, are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you greater than Abraham? Oh yeah. Guess what? I made him. I spoke the word, but you're not even 50 years old. How could you even know? Well, I created him. Really? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Very truly. I tell you before Abraham was, I am before Abraham was, I am. And what do they do? The story, the chapter starts with stoning and ends with stoning. They want to stone him. They pick up rocks. They want to kill him. They start heaving rocks at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Begins and ends with stoning. But Jesus is our cornerstone. And Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus is the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, light of the world, we praise you. Thank you for this cosmic light. You have pierced the darkness. It can never, ever, ever, ever be dark again because of you. One little sliver of light dispels the darkness. Thank you, Jesus, light of the world, for this gospel of life and light that you give us tonight and every night. We praise and thank you for being the light of the world. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter eight, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.